0: Thank you. I go up here? Okay. It's my pleasure to be here today. A couple of things. Um, Since I retired, I have had uh, cataract surgery, and while my old glasses seem to be working fine... There's a little bit of an issue with with reading, so I may have to. Uh, I see fine without the glasses uh, up close, so I may need to take glasses off and put them back on. I uh, hope that doesn't distract you. Um, our reading today, uh, the second reading, is from Acts, the 17th chapter, verses 16 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 34. You can read along or you can listen. Listen to the word of God. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are of very religious." For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that point, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. May God add his blessing to this reading and hearing of his holy word. The Apostle Paul found himself in Athens. He was not there to start a church, to plant a new congregation, which is what he usually did when he went to a new town. He was there because he had been kicked out of some towns where he had planted churches. Uh, Oftentimes, and it goes all the way back to the beginning, the preaching of the gospel sometimes brings peace to some, but it can also bring great conflict. The uh, the other day we had a, a speech or, or a, a speaker at the church where I am the pastor emeritus and uh, she has written a book her name is dr. long and she has written a book sort of reminding all of us of the uh, the Jim Elliot party that was killed in Ecuador back in nineteen fifty six uh, His widow then wrote a book about through the gates of splendor uh, <clears throat> And that book has been, I'm going to need that water I left down here. (coughs) That book has been republished, and now Dr. Long has uh, written the book sort of updating everything. Uh, I have a lozenge that might help me later. Part of being retired is being old and suffering from some of the nonsense of old age. Anyway, Paul had started a church in Thessalonica and then in Berea and had been invited to leave by the town council for causing trouble in both towns. So he went to Athens kind of as a tourist and also as a way to get out of town. Paul was, we know from his writings, he was a man of two cultures. He was a man who grew up in the Greek world. Uh, he lived in what is now Turkey, uh, on the central south part of Turkey, <coughs> about 12 and a half, or twelve and a half miles north of the Mediterranean Sea. He uh, Was, we know also from his writings, he was a fan of the Greek sports. He talks about running the race, about uh, disciplining oneself to fight, and so on and so forth, to fight the good fight. And in this passage, we kind of get the idea that he was a a fan of Greek architecture um, as well as Greek art statues, and so on and so forth. The culture that came out of Athens, uh, and was before Rome, had taken over that part of the world, and so there were uh, Greek structures all over the place. And Paul seems to have liked it, and as he got to Athens, he set upon himself to uh, look at the (coughs) temples, I assume this one. Uh, that is on your bulletin cover, was in better shape when he saw it 2,000 years ago. But uh, it is the typical Greek temple structure, and uh, ironically, you will, as you travel this country, find that many Presbyterian churches have been built in the form of the Greek temple. Not this one, because this building was, was not built by Presbyterians. So Paul went to Athens for a bit of a rest and became somewhat discouraged because all of the great architecture that he wanted to see, all of the great statues that he wanted to see were dedicated to worshiping idols. And that brought Paul into conflict with his other culture. Paul was not only a uh, member of the Greek culture or a part of that, he also, in this sermon, uh, tells us or lets us know that he was familiar with the uh, Greek poets. He quotes some of them here. Paul was a Jew. He was not a Palestinian or an Israeli Jew. He was a Jew that grew up in Turkey. But nonetheless, he was a Jew. He was a descendant of Abraham. He was a Jew of the strictest party of the Jews. He lays all that out in another part in, of the book of Acts. And the Jews of Paul's day were strict monotheists. They knew that there was but one God. In fact, their creed is that first verse that John read for us this morning. <coughs> Deuteronomy 6.4. It's called the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall worship him with all your heart, mind, and soul. And we know that not only Paul uh, repeated that often to himself, but also our Lord Jesus Christ did. He quotes it in the Gospels. And so, here's this man who came to admire the Greek culture, and he finds himself in conflict with his other culture, his Jewish roots. They are nothing but the trappings of idol worship. Now, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> sometimes I feel like Paul must have felt. Because I, too, have two cultures. Actually, probably more than that. Uh, I am a citizen of the United States of America, and I participate in various cultural events. Uh, I am also now, more recently, a citizen of West Lafayette, Indiana, and I participate in some of uh, their cultural events, and so last night I did watch a certain basketball game. Um, Very excited to see how that played out. felt somewhat... um, sad for the other team, but that's better than feeling sad for our team. <laughs> and I don't know that those men that are on that team could be called the gods of West Lafayette, but we do watch because it's part of the way that we relate to each other. When I go out into the, the various stores and do various things in West Lafayette, we talk about how the basketball team is, and I'm expected to know, if I'm a part of, of the community, what their names are, the men, names of the men on that team. We have a lady in our church named Grika Um, and Grika is, as you might have guessed, uh, a transplant to the United States from Holland. And she's just thrilled that we have a, a, a player from the Netherlands on, on the team uh, in, in Mr. Harms as I said I participate in the culture of the United States I turn on my television I watch what I like to see on television and many times it's stuff that takes me into a part of the culture of the United States that I don't like very much Sometimes the producers of movies and television shows try to force their perspectives on the rest of us and make us accept things that my other culture tells me I ought not to accept. We see people living with approval of everyone around them in relationships which are forbidden in Scripture, and there's a whole list of those, and I don't need to read them here today. We see people, heroes of the shows, doing things that are not appropriate and that are evil. (coughs) (coughs) So I find myself in conflict. Also, sometimes when I do the Bible study at the work release center, There are certain opinions that are put forth that I find myself in conflict with, but these are the way some of these folks live, and this is the way they were brought up. And so, as we think about how Christians are to live in this world, I think it's appropriate for us to go back to the Apostle Paul. We can appreciate some of the art objects. We can appreciate some of the architecture. We can appreciate the good things of our culture, But we have to be informed by that other culture, the culture of the Bible, the culture of Christianity. Now, sometimes Christianity for us has been so bound up in the American culture that (coughs) sometimes it's hard to get back to the pure uh, Christianity. A a friend of mine uh, writes a a blog and, and sends out emails all the time and now he has attached to, to the bottom everything he sends out. He has attached a statement. The more I understand biblical Christianity, the less I have in common with most churches <laughs> in America. So we have to be careful. We, we cannot just accept what goes on around us. Paul went on. And it's interesting that he was invited to the Areopagus, the Philosopher's Hill uh, in Athens. They had their own little venue to talk with each other and to listen to speeches. And, and I don't know if you've ever met any philosophers. Uh, we have about three or four of them in our church at, at uh, uh, West Lafayette. And philosophers are interesting fellows. Uh, they, they like to have each other speak, and at the end of the speeches, they'll all applaud, even though they disagree with everything the guy just said. So they had, this, they had their own venue, and they invited Paul to speak to them. <clears throat> and the folks that seem to be involved in his invitation are identified as Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. Now, I don't have time, nor do I have the the background to tell you everything about Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, but the simple summary is the Epicureans believed that it was best for people to enjoy all sorts of experiences, uh, all the pleasure you could get. You remember the old um, alcoholic beverage uh, that used to advertise, grab all the gusto you can? Okay? and and that's that's what the Epicureans were basically all about. Experiencing all the pleasures that were available. The Stoics, on the other hand, uh, felt that it was best to lead, lead rather sedate lives and to deprive themselves of, of some of these great experiences because they could lead them astray. I think that because it was the Stoics and the Epicureans that invited Paul, we know what it was that he was teaching or talking about in the marketplace. He was talking about the kind of lives that God wants people to live because the Epicureans and the Stoics had one thing in common. Their teachings involved how human beings are supposed to live their lives. And they would have been attracted to a man who was teaching what God wanted people to do and how they wanted to live. They weren't sure about his teachings. In fact, <clears throat> they, in the English it says, what does this babbler have to say? Uh, in the Greek, it's, it's a little more convoluted than that. What, it's, what it actually says is, what, what is this picker of seeds? Uh, a seed picker, like a crow? Uh, and that was the metaphor that it came from. The crow goes out and picks all sorts of seeds <clears throat> And I don't know if you know, but (coughs) (coughs) crows like to take stuff back. They're hoarders. Um, And so, you know, what is this guy hoarding from the rest of the world and bringing to Athens? What What are these bits and pieces from all over the place that he's brought to us? And so Paul went and he talked to them and he began by complimenting them, which is always good to do, and he said, I see you are very religious, and your progenitors in this city have been very religious. In fact, you worship so many different things and so many different gods that you even have idols dedicated to the worship of gods that you don't even know, that you can't identify. An unknown god. Actually, we're told that Although Paul specifies that there was this one idol to, or altar to an unknown God, that in fact there were two in Athens. And so he used that as a starting place, and he said, <clears throat> what you don't know, this unknown God, I'm going to proclaim. Proclaim. And then he talks about the God that he was familiar with from Judaism and now from Christianity. He said, in fact, there are not many gods, all responsible for certain parts of the universe or the world. There is one God, the Creator. And he said some very interesting things about this one God. From one man, he created all nations. And you have to remember the time in which Paul spoke. Paul spoke in Athens long after Athens was the capital of civilization. That had now, the Roman Empire had come in and taken over the old Greek world and added some other things to it and now the world was ruled from Rome. Paul says God has made nations out of this one man, and he has given nations districts with boundaries and times for them to be powerful. Really important. Because you see, as they lived in their world, Rome was in charge of everything. And if you weren't a Roman citizen, you were virtually nothing. You had no rights. In our time, we get news every day telling us that there's a certain group of people who are engaging in, in uh, subversive activities to, to ruin our country and ruin our world. The only problem is <laughs> that it's if, if you pay attention, they're all identifying different groups of people as the culprits. Our world is not ruled by the nations of the people who inhabit it. Our world is ruled by God. He owns it. He owns the universe. Our world belongs to he who created it, not those of us who live in it. I know as you examine history, it looks the other way. Actually, as you examine history long term, you begin to see what God is doing and how he is using the various nations of time and history and our world to bring about his will. Very interesting concept Paul lays out here. We are not at the mercy of nations, not even the great Roman nation. We are here. at the permission of God. We are here to inhabit His world. And He has a future plan. And then He talks about uh, the fact that God tolerated idol worship for a while, but now He had moved into a new era. He had revealed the judge. He had revealed that He was near. And he says something interesting about Jesus, which should sound foreign to us, except we're all familiar with this sermon, but we all think of Jesus as the one who died to forgive our sins, uh, the one who extended compassion and mercy and so on and so forth. But sometimes we forget what Paul revealed to the people at the Areopagus that day. He said, someday soon he will judge the world. For its idol worship and all the other things that it has, people of the world have done that God forbids. And he has introduced to the world in Paul's day the judge. And he has shown that he has the authority to judge By raising him from the dead. He doesn't talk about Jesus the forgiver. He doesn't talk about Jesus the compassionate one. He doesn't even talk about Jesus dying for our sins. He talks about Jesus' resurrection as a sign that he is the great judge sent from God. I consider this sermon of Paul to be, I have to be careful when I say this, pre Christian, because it's part one. It creates the need. For people to turn to Jesus, we assume that for those who were interested to go further, he would introduce Jesus more complete as the forgiver, as the Son of God, and so on and so forth. But the message that Paul preaches here is very similar to the message that John read for us from Deuteronomy there is one God. And Paul, addressing all of those idol worshipers and pagan philosophers on Areopagus, is saying there is one God, and you will eventually be judged unless you love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now, I've already revealed to you that I'm a model railroader. Uh, I was introduced to that hobby when I was six months old. My father bought me a Lionel train when I was six months old. Uh, my mother always wondered who that train was really for uh, since my father bought it for a six-month-old. And I used to, lie. first year i lay in the middle of it and he'd put the train around me and I'd just watch it roll. And then after that I would sit there the next year and then following that I would wreak havoc on the train. Lionel used to make a really robust product. Uh, I still have it, by the way. Um, another thing about me that You may want to know, may not want to know, is that during a long part of my life, during the formative years of my life, I lived in the city of Baltimore, uh, which is, along with the rest of the state of Maryland, primarily Roman Catholic. And so I was uh, subjected to, by my friends, all of the bad things about the season of Lent, And as we're engaged in the season of Lent and Pastor Adam is preaching about uh, more from less and, and so on and so forth, I just want to stress for you that Lent needs to be a time for us to center ourselves on God as Paul was trying to center these idol worshipers and these pagan philosophers on the one true God, land is a time not for us to feel that we're gaining approval of God by doing certain things and not doing certain other things. That's what it often becomes because we're human beings and we always think we're either getting credit or debit one way or the other. Lent needs to be a time for us to look forward to the sufferings of Christ, to to think about what Christ did for us and to center ourselves on Christ, to let him be the center of our lives rather than all the stuff we do either in our private lives for ourselves or, or out in the world. God and his Son Christ and the Holy Spirit need to be the center. The Lord our God is one, and you shall love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this great sermon of Paul. We thank you for Damaris and and some others who... uh, became Christians as a result of this and other sermons of Paul. Help us to remember, as we approach the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, that this world is not left up to the whims of sovereigns. It is not left to the mercy of armies, but it is yours, and you are doing what you will with it and with us. And help us to remember that we only can achieve our true purpose when we center ourselves on you and set out to do your will.